What's happening, Pelicans fans? Chris Conner here from The Bird Rights. And support for Armchair Media comes from Manscaped, who is number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. I can remember once as a naive adolescent trying to manscape, and let's just say scissors and a painful experience were both involved. That's why Manscaped has redesigned their electric trimmer, and their lawnmower 2.0 has skin-safe technology so this trimmer won't nick or snag your nuts. Manscaping accidents like mine are finally a thing of the past. And don't use the same trimmer on your face as you're using on your balls. That's just nasty. Manscaped also has the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. You already put deodorant on your armpits. Why are you not putting deodorant on the smelliest parts of your body? Always use the right tools for the job. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code armchair at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use that code armchair. Your balls will thank you. You are listening to The Bird Calls on the Armchair All-American Network. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. All right, Pelicans fans, welcome to another edition of The Bird Calls, um, and not The Bird Craps, apparently, but uh, <laughs> uh, I am David Grubb, and with me are Ali Cosell, our editor-in-chief, as well as Kevin Barrios and Chris Connor, and we'll be addressing a lot since we haven't really done one of these in a while, and so much has been happening with the Pelicans over the last couple of weeks. Uh, gentlemen, good morning to you, and um, let's each go around the table first. Uh, Ali, how are you doing this morning? Doing great. Thanks, David. Yeah, it's been forever. I, I mean, we've been talking about doing a podcast seemingly every week, but we just haven't gotten around to doing it, so it's great to finally sit down and do one. Chris, welcome back. We haven't had you in with the group for a while. Um, it's always good to join you guys, man. Uh, look forward to... Uh... Talking more about the bird rights and not the bird crap. <laughs> and Kevin, I mean, I know you've been taking some injuries lately, but you're playing hurt, uh, much like uh, many of the Pelicans. So glad you could be with us as well. Yeah, my my Pelican fandom has really taken over my back and neck. Right, <laughs> I'm in a lot better shape today than I was a few days ago. But uh, yeah, I got like a pinched nerve and like had a bunch of things out of out of place. I think I got some ribs out of place still. Um, so uh, I'm, uh, you know, I'm juicing and getting through the day. So that's, <laughs> that's how I'm going. Aaron Nelson has not been of help to you yet though. Not yet. He hasn't been the savior that they promised for me. Uh, disappointing, but we, we still <laughs> give him time. We give him time. And just to be a- clear, we don't blame him for people rolling their ankles. That's no. just, jokes no we don't no yeah these are just jokes people um all right there's so many things we could start with but i think the first thing we need to do um is address this current losing streak uh the pelicans seem like they were kind of riding the ship a little bit uh playing some good basketball they had won four out of six and then starting uh with the end of that road trip the final two games of the road trip the pelicans have now lost four in a row 
Um, Chris, we'll start with you. What what have you seen in, as been the biggest change from that hot streak to what you've seen during this cold, uh, really cold stretch as of late? Uh, well, I mean, I know we talked about or Preston made it a thing to, to bring up the schedule and we knew that the level of competition that they had defeated during that stretch, uh, a Clippers team without without Kawhi Leonard, uh, the the Utah Jazz, uh, I mean, no, 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 I'm sorry, it wasn't Jazz, the uh, Charlotte Hornets and uh, a Golden State Warriors team that or whatever is left of that of that uh, of that franchise. I wasn't the best the best of competition. I mean, if you're talking about a, a team trying to trying to uh, have some sort of litmus test. And um, I think, you know, when you face, when you face deeper teams and, you know, d- during that stretch, you know, they had, or for part of it, they had, they had Derek Favors, which played a big role. He was playing his best basketball of the season. Um, you get to a stretch where you lose him again. It's hard to beat some of these good teams, especially on the, on the road uh, as they're healthier uh, playing, going to Utah and going to, going to Los Angeles with the, with Kawhi healthy. Um Los Angeles, even even at home, playing these teams and still being still being undermanned. That Miami game, you know, was I mean, what they only had was eight, nine healthy players to to suit up. You know, it was just you know it it's very difficult to beat teams of that of that uh, of that elk when you're when you're undermanned as as they were. And some of the mistakes that they that they continue to make, you can't you can't overcome. Um, when it comes to the being as lackadaisical as they were, uh, the you know some of the stretches of bad of bad shot selection, the turnovers, uh, you know the, the last of the defense. I think it's a lot harder to do that when you're playing some of the better teams in the league versus playing teams as you know Charlotte, Golden State. Kevin, um, playing off of that, the mistakes that he's talking about, the mental errors, the late game execution. Uh, that has been a real source of a sore spot for fans, uh, people who watch this team on a regular basis. Uh, how much of this do you think is on the players and still them figuring each other out? Or are we deep enough in the season where that uh, blame has to start being you know, distributed amongst the players and the coaching staff for not seeing some more corrections in mental errors? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, you know, obviously, as always, for like the seemingly the last decade, this team will get an injury pass because there's just so many injuries. And, you know, so many, especially this year where there's so many new players that you have to integrate while also being injured um, and a whole new defensive concept, all those changes make everything a little bit harder to evaluate. Um, but, you know... We've seen this time and time again from Drew Holiday in the clutch. You know, nobody dribbles off their foot or off their knee as much as him in the in the clutch. And we've seen those, you know, the blown dunk. We've seen the where he basically allowed the guy to chase him down and and uh, block the shot at the end. Um, you know, it's just these these things that keep happening to the same player. It's frustrating because he's obviously an incredible player, and I love Drew Holiday, but something happens in the last 90 seconds of the game um, where perhaps it's because he's 
playing without a de facto point guard, and that's when he's best, when he has somebody else to really be the guy to control the ball and to run the offense. But we see other things too, like um, in the Laker game, at the end of the game, we have Drew Holiday inbounding the ball. Uh, LeBron James is trying to block him, uh, block the pass. And instead of when you see that mismatch and you have one of your shorter players and the, this tall athletic freak denying the inbounds pass, when we have a timeout in our pocket in such a crucial moment, why not call that timeout and have Brandon Ingram inbound the ball, change the play? Um, it's something that gives you a, a more – you know, a more favorable matchup in that sense. Um, and also with the way we have Brandon Ingram playing right now, at the end, the, the clutch offense should run through him because he is good at creating for himself and others. And he can get shots up over anybody and he's more willing to attack the, the rim. And he doesn't, he hasn't had these brain farts and in, in clutch time. So um, those things are questionable. I know like Oklahoma City was trying to deny him a little bit. so you know, that happens and you have to run something else. But um, yeah, I mean, some of it is coaching. Uh, some of it is just people not knowing what to do. And some of it is just that we're playing without a, a point guard right now because Lonzo's hurt and they're not trusting Nikhil Alexander-Walker. Uh, I mean, I don't necessarily think they should trust him to be in the clutch, but I think he should be playing more, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. Um, so it puts the ball back in the hands of a guy who's chronically had struggles and, and clutch moments. Ollie, Drew has been mystifying. I mean, in that regard, you know, we go back three years and you and I have been sitting up in the press box at various levels. And now we're up in the Himalayas, but you know, we used to call him two minute Drew. I mean, cause in those last two minutes, we would see those mistakes and we thought that he was past that. And here we are again, with the team's best player, and it seems annually with Drew, we have these questions of either slow starts or end-of-game situations or how do you get Drew freed up from having to take care of these responsibilities with the basketball? But he's going to handle the basketball. We know that's going to happen. So how do you mitigate all the, the, the mistakes that he is making, the turnovers that he is making that aren't due to pace because the Pelicans aren't playing as fast as they were earlier in the season so what what can they do strategically to make it easier for Drew? You need to have somebody step up, David. It's that simple. Yeah, we've talked about Drew Holiday, and I, I, I don't like this argument that's out there currently that they're trying to look and point towards his amount of minutes he's been playing lately, right? He's hit 40 minutes, last couple of contests. So they're saying maybe he's tired. But as you just mentioned, we've seen this on and off from him over the last three years. And here's the thing for me. If it was fatigue, I think he would be making different kind of errors. We would be noticing maybe jump shots coming up short. We wouldn't be seeing these mental mistakes. And Kevin's already touched on a few of my favorites, which happened really just in the last couple games, right? The missed dunk, inexplicably missed dunk against the Lakers. And then in the last game, wow. It's like he went up against a reserve. I don't even remember who he was going up against, but... He, he literally jumped in the guy's hands to get a shot blocked. Then the ball gets back in his face and he bobbles it out of bounds. I mean, that wasn't even, even half an effort, you know? So we, I feel like he's freezing up. And you go back to shooting some free throws late in games, right? Where he would go to the line and miss both. I mean, he's four of eight in clutch time minutes shooting free throws. So, you know, if Drew's your number one, 
and he's doing these kind of things. He's having some, something's not working for him mentally with the confidence, right? It's, it's not there. But for him, in order for the Pelicans to get past this, David, to answer your question, they need somebody else to step up. But get this, there's only one player shooting over 33% in clutch time minutes. That's Frank Jackson. Do we want to trust Frank Jackson to close out games? No. So even though Brandon Ingram's been playing well, he hasn't been doing well in the clutch. He's only made 6 of 20, right? J.J. Redick is 5 of 15. Josh Hart, you know, bless his heart for his efforts, but he's only made 1 of 7 from deep. Three and nine overall. So these guys are not getting it done in the clutch. And I just also want to address this. Early in the year, I asked Alvin, so just to clarify for fans, how how do you want the last couple of minutes to operate? Do you want him to push the ball or should we expect the guys you want to have the ball to close out games? You know, your best players. He says, obviously the game slows down. You want your best guys to have uh, those shots. And we run plays at the end of games. So suddenly now he's talking about Right, I want the pace to be picked up. I want them to run fast. They're playing too much ISO ball. You're asking yourself what's going on here? I'll tell you what's going on. He's not going to throw his team under the bus, but the fact is they're not executing. These things we're talking about, Drew Hawdy, he sees it. The coaching staff sees it, but he's not going to announce it to the media in postgame. So, of course, he's reaching those typical coach bag of tricks when the team's losing, doing poorly. You're making up kind of excuses, right, using those good old standbys. So it's really unfortunate. So easiest answer, David, is somebody's got to step up at the end of games. You know, the Pelicans have been in, what, 12 of their 19 games have come down in crunch time. Somebody's got to play better at the end of games and carry these guys to a win. It's really that simple. So then you bring in Alvin into this, and that would, that's been the thing that's made it so hard um, in a lot of ways to evaluate him and what he's done as a head coach. And we all have feelings about it. Kevin has never made it, you know, you know, never been shy about stating that Alvin's a 500 coach. That's all he's ever seen out of Alvin. And he doesn't think that, you know, for the future, he thought that the best move would have been moving on. At the same time, David Griffin, to the undefeated, uh, on Wednesday night, he spoke with them uh, when they were in New Orleans for, the, for Anthony Davis's return. And he reiterated again how much faith he has in Alvin, how much he wants to see him implement his system with no fear, to see this whole group that when they aren't injured playing under what Alvin does. Does that are, – are, are we able to analyze with the injuries? The Pelicans are second in the NBA in injuries again. Uh, the player mistakes, the youth of this team. Where does Alvin fit all into that? Kevin, I'm going to let you go ahead and start with that one. Yeah, I mean, look, he definitely has a lot of excuses that he could fall back on. I understand people always will say, well, the team is completely injured, and I get that. And But at some point, you know, having somebody hooked up to this injury um, injury excuse lifeline, you know, so at some point you got to pull the plug. I mean, if, if nothing is working for so long, and sure, a lot of it isn't his fault, I understand that. And I think he's a better coach than I originally gave him credit for. Uh, but I still feel like he's just like the North Turner of the NBA. And that is sort of an insult, but it's also a really big compliment because those two guys who are incredible coordinators in, at the, in their fields, you know, every time they're in control of purely an offense and they have somebody checking them above them uh, as a head coach, you see incredible results offensively from those teams. 
the, and it also leads to them getting talked about as head coaches or getting head coaching gigs, which, you know, they always hover around 500. They underachieve. They show promise, but never actually fulfill it. And that's what we keep seeing from both of those guys. And I just think that's who they are. I just, whatever the sort of intangible or secret ingredient you need to be that head guy that leads a team, uh, they just don't have it. And I think as long as they're there, there's going to be years where they're, where Alvin is successful. There's going to be years like this and the previous year. Um, it's going to be up and down. It's not going to be consistent. Um, He's going to luck out. I mean, this roster is very full of talent. We know that um, even when they're not he- even when they're not healthy, you have a lot of good players on this team that they're putting out there that they should be, you know, the expectation should be higher. Um, so I, I don't think the answer is firing him during the season. You know, I don't think that solves anything, but I just really think it was a mistake when you're bringing in 15 new players, you want to change the defensive scheme. Um, you want to build a new culture from the ground up to keep the same guy who has been inconsistent and has had a losing record for years to be, and he's 65 years old, you know I mean? How many years left does he have in the, in the league as a head coach? So why bring that in where you're going to have to change it eventually anyway, you know, it's inevitable that he's not going to be the coach of this team in the next few years just because of age, if not because of results. So I just thought they missed a great opportunity to bring in somebody else. Um, Chris and I wrote uh, a piece about that with head coaching candidates as options. And I really like David Vanterpool. And I look at what's happening over in Minnesota where he's and of course, I understand the backup quarterback situation where everybody seems like they're a better option when they're not the guy running the show. But I'm more willing to be patient and take a gamble on a guy that we don't know than a guy that I know and am just not confident in. So um, I see what he's doing in Minnesota. He has Carl Anthony Towns playing incredible over there. He's, you know, before Carl Anthony Towns used to look like a kid that was assigned a chore and didn't really want to do it on the basketball court. You know, he has all the skills uh, that you wanted a player. He just never really played with heart or passion. And that seems to have changed this year. And then you look at the dramatic change in Andrew Wiggins. And now you might not be able to attribute all of this to David Vanderpool, but that was the main change over there because Ryan Saunders was there last year. So, um, you know, he's a guy I really liked and I thought he would be a great guy to usher in this new era and, and start from the beginning. So now it's too late, but I think, you know, in the off season, they really need to look at it and decide, you know, I thought it was a great, you know, it was rumored that he was going to move to the front office. And I thought that was great because I do like Alvin as a person. I think he's, he's uh, very funny. He's very charismatic. Um, obviously he knows a ton about basketball. I think he's a great offensive coordinator. I just don't think he has the ingredients to be a lead man that you can count on. So keeping him in some capacity is great, but I just don't think he's the man to run the show long-term. Chris, let's take it from just evaluating Alvin in particular and think about just um, in a (coughs) vacuum, how do you measure a head coach? Because there are so many different ways that we look at people. Um, You know, even you you look at the NBA and how many coaches currently have, uh, who who are active, who have championships. So you have, you know, Steve Kerr, Greg Popovich, uh, 
you have um, down in Miami, you've got Spolstra, you got uh, in Dallas. Um, uh, did, why is his name for you slipping my head? Rick Carlisle. Rick Carlisle. Rick Carlisle. So, I mean, there's what maybe six you know co- coaches in the league who are active with championships, and even a guy like Doc Rivers, it's been more than a decade for him since he's even made a finals. It's been about a decade since he's made a finals appearance, and yet he's you know in that echelon. What do you? How do you evaluate a coach if you were looking for something? Are there things that you see in Alvin that that just as him his skill set that make you feel like maybe this isn't going to work, or do you see also those things that do make him an attractive candidate in general, and why teams keep coming back to him? Well, I I think most of the time, I mean, I, you know, if you're when you're looking for a head coach, you're looking for any type of leader of any sort. I mean, you know, you want, you want someone that can hold guys accountable. Um, and I think really more than anything, you would, you would want someone that when they speak, you see that the people that are, that are around them are taking what they say to the task and you see immediate, um, you know, immediate adjustments. And I think when, you have to see Alvin come out game after game and basically say the same thing. Um, after a while, you have to wonder, is it really just going to play? You know, is, is Alvin yelling and screaming? And is he putting these things in their heads every single game? And the players just aren't, just aren't holding it, you know, once the game starts or once they, you know, once they get into these situations. I mean, can that be put on them? Or can it just be on Alvin? I mean, I I wonder after what I mean. This is this is his fifth or his fourth year in New Orleans. I mean, yeah. the the problems have yeah. I mean, the problems have pretty much stayed the same. They've only finished um, in top fifteen in defensive from the defensive rating twice. I mean, right now I believe they're uh, twenty twenty eighth or twenty sixth, one or the other. Um, the problems have pretty much stemmed on the other side on the defensive side of the basketball. We've never questioned his ability. Uh, offensively, but your ability to make adjustments. All those coaches that that you've named have switched from from style to style. They've been able to, you know, I mean, we've seen Popovich go from a an up tempo pace to a to a slower pace that you know was pretty much what he was marveled about from his from his early days uh, in San Antonio. We've seen guys take their talent, the, the talent that's in front of them, and come up with a system that fits that particular. Uh, arsenal that they have versus just saying, this is a system that I want to run. We need to run it. And I think that's what's most important to me. I mean, I, I, I can't speak for everyone else, but, you know, I always go back to the year that they, that they got boogie and Alvin, you know, I mean, I remember he was asked, you know, so do you, do you foresee any changes in your style? He said, no, I think that this style, I think that, that, that implementing my seven foot, 320 pounds center, having him run up and down the floor um, nonstop at a top five pace is going to benefit him. Uh, the shooting threes aspect. He wanted DeMarcus to shoot six or seven threes a game, no matter what, no matter how he was doing with it. Those type of things bother me because you have to have a level of awareness, uh, you know, to know that, all right, well, we have the two best big men in basketball. Maybe it makes sense to slow down the game versus running up and down and we're already at a disadvantage at our, you know, at our wings, at our guard position. Um, I don't think Alvin, I think that stubbornness that you, you know, that you also see with, with Mike D'Antoni to where even if you get lucky and you get 
the right amount of health at your, um, you know, on your on your roster per se. I don't think it's going to get you to the level that, you know, you would want to be at, whether it be a championship or deep or a deep uh, playoff run. And you know, I mean, you know, you see with with D'Antoni's uh, resume pretty much has been even when they've when he's had good health and he's had really good players, uh, you know, the the furthest that, that you can really see them going is a conference championship. And that's just not enough when you can, you know, predict what this roster will become and some of the rosters that, that he's had. So, um, I mean I, I I love Alvin just like just like Kevin says, he's you know, he's he's a really good guy. But if you're talking about, you know, the next step, if you're talking about down the line, if you're talking about a guy that I believe is gonna hold every guy accountable, can make adjustments get some of the better coaches. I just don't think it's him long term. Ali, that I think it really does come down to those two things, uh, accountability and adaptability. And I think Chris hit those right on the head. And, and in a way, like I, the more I'm thinking about Kevin talking about being him being the North Turner, really, like the more I'm thinking about it, it's more like he's the Jeff Fisher of the NBA. Ooh. Because Jeff Fisher would get you seven and nine, eight and eight, nine and seven. He made one run to the Super Bowl, right, with the Titans, and, and everybody gave him a whole bunch of credit for being close. And after that, because he's an extremely likable guy, apparently in NFL circles, Jeff Fisher was able to continue and keep getting jobs where the results never matched the expectation. But there was always a reason too. I've got a young quarterback. My quarterback is hurt. There's something else going on. Those parallels are really eerily similar, but that adaptability and that accountability, those have been questions about this locker room for years, Ali, and we've seen that. Yeah, I mean, everybody knows, and I hope they know, Alvin is definitely a system guy, where it's his system and it's going to be his system, regardless of how the peg fits into the round hole. And so that's why we have seen the struggles, but we have also seen the glimpses of what the offense can be. And this goes back to when the Pelicans under Monty Williams lost and got swept embarrassingly in front of ownership, in front of upper management uh, to those Golden State Warriors. They wanted to emulate that system. Well, guess what? Alvin runs that to a T. I would argue that he's just as good as Steve Kerr, but hasn't had the players. We have seen these coaches, when, when they do have those players, make certain adjustments that have really shined. And then you just got to go back to a couple of years ago when Alvin Gentry um, and, and the coaching staff came up with a way to really stop Portland while they dominated on the other end. And it turned out to be a beautiful 4-0 sweep. And if you're wondering about Alvin, Alvin's coaching abilities, he's often ranked in the top um, in timeouts, or uh, was it points per possession out of timeouts, where two years ago the Pelicans were by far number one. You know who was at the bottom? The Houston Rockets. So... Alvin can coach, but the fact is it requires a certain amount of um, personnel because he's not going to change his system. He's an offensive coach. And that's the funny part. The offense really hasn't been a problem this year except in crunch time. And that, where that blame comes from, like I was talking earlier, it's the players. You guys, they have to be able to execute. You've got They know the plays. They know what they can do physically. It just comes down to a matter of you know getting around the man, making a pass, not doing a stupid turnover getting a shot in your comfort zone, and they haven't done any of that. That doesn't fall on the coach to me. Not when these guys have been used to this system, playing a certain way. And believe me, guys, the players love playing in this system. They love this freedom. 
Brandon Ingram, more than anybody, has echoed that this season. I think that's a major reason why he has exploded and having kind of that star slash, hey, he could be a superstar season. So there's benefits to that. But again, as you've just mentioned, David, the adaptability isn't there. This team, with, with those injuries, suddenly they cannot perform on both ends of the floor enough in a game. Jeff Bezdilic, I mean, I think he needs to be honestly taking a lot more of this blame, right? I mean, the Pelicans have not stopped anybody at any given time. I mean, how bad did they look in the uh, last game, right, where, where they couldn't stop OKC, a, a, you know, a bad offensive team uh, from getting, what was it, 62, 64 points in the first half? And in their first meeting, OKC did the same thing. At some point, you've got to criticize these guys getting back in transition, defense, putting themselves in a better position to win, not making these comebacks, which I like what Preston wrote yesterday, is this team suddenly has to flip on that desperation switch. And they do. They somehow pick up this energy that drives them to suddenly make this comeback and find themselves within striking distance in the final five minutes. Of course, the energy expended to that mentality then leading to what I think is bad shots. You're still looking for that first shot, and suddenly you grow aware of your situation. Pressure's up. You are a little bit more tired. I think that's leading is an, an additional factor to them failing down the stretch. So it's a whole slew of things, but in the end, I do agree with you guys. I don't think Alvin is a perfect fit for this roster. I like what he wants for the team to do, but the fact is if you've got Drew Holiday, you've got Lonzo Ball, you, you, your, your leaders – are not able to handle that pressure and execute like they should, then, of course, you need to slow it down. You need to have almost a Monty Williams, Rick Carlisle system to where you're pigeonholing the offense to do this, to do that, to make sure they go to their strengths, to where you're not going to get burned back in transition on defense and give up an easy two or some stupid foul, as we've seen, you know, repeatedly. So it's a catch-22, really. You know, the players are accountable. Again, Alvin has not been the perfect coach in dealing with all these injuries and dealing with certain players that are not leading the team as they should. So I don't know. It, it's one big, terrible mess right now. There's no easy answer. And I, I hate that. I hate hopping out. I mean, but David, do you see it any differently? You know, my thing is, I think part of it is you look at this and for three years, Alvin really wasn't given accountability. And I don't know if you can reestablish that. He wasn't given it to be able to have it uh, from Dell. Dell didn't allow him to hold people accountable in a way that he might have wanted. And we know that. We've heard Alvin talk about, you know, his, the way he was dissatisfied with the makeup of the roster previously, with guys that were brought in or weren't brought in uh, for the team, with ways that he could deal with them or couldn't deal with them. And you start to wonder that after some point, how do you reestablish that as the head coach? And it may be too far gone to do that. And I hate that because like we all agree and it's, it's a hard thing to do because we all agree that we like Alvin so much and he is such a good person. And like you said, he's such an intelligent coach about the game of basketball, but at the same time, it is hard to look and say, it's not getting better. And like Kevin said, ultimately you're judged by the results and you, how long do you keep kicking that can down the road of saying, what are we going to do? I don't think you do anything during the season because that never works. And then looking at the, that the bench staff anyway, Chris Finch is in his third season now with this staff and we haven't seen this great influence that he's had. Jeff Bizdelic, like you just mentioned, we have not seen 
Um, even though we wanted to give it time, like you said, the mistakes that are getting made, the basic rotational mistakes, the basic effort mistakes, the basic just awareness mistakes that this team makes defensively, those have to be held accountable on the guy who's in charge of the defense. And I can tell you that watching the Pelicans, and I'm sure Ali will say the same thing, Alvin lets his coaches coach. So they are, um, you know, the ones who are giving the instruction during practice sessions. So this whole group in, in total is having its failure. But also, like you said, and as Chris would like me to explain, there's a serious and severe case of lemon booty that has permeated this roster. And these guys in the last two minutes, and if you're not aware what lemon booty is, it is the puckering of one's anus in a difficult situation because they're not sure of what they should be doing. And that could be on the front of the Pelicans jerseys right now. Instead of NOLA or Pelicans, you could just put a lemon right there and that would represent this team in the final two minutes. And that has to be on those guys because there are enough of them in those situations like a J.J. Reddick like a Drew Holiday, who have been in those situations where they've had the ball and they're not making good decisions. And so that that level of fear or discomfort in those situations when you don't have anything to lose, like the Pelicans really don't, there's nothing at stake for them and they're tight in these situations right now, that does not, for me, me, uh, portend good for the, well for the future. It makes me feel like there are some guys on this roster who just are not suited for the roles, not the, the basketball role, but the mental role that they've had to be, be placed in this season. Can I just uh, counterpoint a little bit of what Ali said earlier? Yeah. Um, yeah. I just, uh, I agree a hundred percent with Chris. It's always been one of my biggest problems with Gentry is the lack of flexibility in a scheme. You know, um, that's one reason I liked Vanderpool or Melvin Hunt because they they've been in multiple roles with the organizations and they've been in multiple kinds of organizations, multiple kinds of offenses. Um, And what Ali was saying is, you know, Alvin says that they slow the game down at the end of the, at the end of the game and they run plays and that's when we're falling apart. So is it because they don't prep that enough because all the other time they're just, free flow, do whatever you want, and they don't understand what to do in the play. Maybe they should work uh, plays into the regular scheme of the game all the time. And I'm I'm just so tired of every time when you ask Alvin Gentry about what they need to do, and it, the answer is go faster. I mean, it's never <laughs> been the actual answer because, like, like Chris said, you know, you have DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis, and you're going to make DeMarcus Cousins run – a ton and then now you have an injury depleted roster sometimes you only had you had to call up your two two-way guys to to make a nine-man rotation a couple of weeks ago and it's play faster you run the guys into the ground um it just doesn't make any sense you know you got to be able to adjust um you got to know that you don't have alonzo or a rondo or somebody like that running that point for you to make those snap decisions so working in plays during the regular flow of the game, running actual sets may benefit the team and may also benefit them in crunch time because what you're telling me is we're scoring great during the game when we're playing free flow. And then when it counts, we're switching up the scheme to do something else. And that's what's dramatically failing. Although that is what makes most basketball sense most times. So 
do we just play fast and free during the last few minutes at an accelerated pace, or do we incorporate more plays during the regular scheme of the game to try to improve the results of what we produce at the end of the game? Do we think that this is a a team with a high basketball IQ up and down the roster? If you were talking about, okay, Chris, give me the guys who you would say on this team, who you would say, I think that this person has a high basketball IQ. And who are guys that you would put that in question just because of how you've seen them play through 19 games? Um, so, you know, we'll start with, we'll start with Kimmich Williams. Uh, JJ Redick is one. Uh, I go with Josh Hart. Derek Favors. I feel like, I feel like Melly has a has a, a really good basketball IQ. Um, he, he's just really really struggling transitioning right now. Uh, and Drew Holiday has a has a good basketball IQ. I won't do that to him. Um, did you say high? Or did you say really good? Let me because you know I don't want to just get it to anybody. But well, I mean, I, I think. You know, guys, that you consider all the factors, their age, their relative experience, you know, those things. And you say, well, I, they make good decisions for the most part. Their instincts are good for the most part. I mean, they're exceptional guys. Like you said, Drew, Drew defensively is an exceptionally high basketball IQ guy. Offensively, it seems as if there are times when his judgment goes complete, like he's a drunk person um, behind the wheel <laughs> of a car on a Saturday exactly. night. And, you know, but overall, you see yeah. So, so given so given that given that I would say I would say all things considered, um Josh Hart, Drew Holiday, JJ Reddick, Kenrich Williams, um I think Zion has a has a really uh excellent basketball actually for his age. Um that would that would I mean all with in their favorite. That would that would pretty much that would pretty much be it. Uh I'm I'm on the fence with with uh, Brandon Ingram because I still think he's you know he's learning some things but um, I mean when you when you look at his gifts and some of the things some of his instincts on both sides of the floor and how he's coming along defensively switching making making certain smart plays like that Phoenix game where he where he blocks that shot late in the game with five fouls and you know is able to you know slither his way away from contact um, I think he's getting up there but I mean I I really think that's it man I mean if you're um, if we're talking, if we're talking high, high IQ, that's that's pretty much it for me. Because I mean, it feels like guys like Lonzo or Nikhil, um, and Jackson. I mean, I think Lonzo is a very instinctual player, and he also sees mm-hmm. things extremely well. But we just don't have enough time on the floor to fully evaluate him and trust him. Nikhil, same way, very young and inexperienced, but we see his instincts, and I think we we are tantalized by his instincts. Same with Jackson A's. It just feels his natural instinct is to do a good thing. But I wouldn't call him a very smart basketball player at this point. But there are some I think guys. guys struggle with self-awareness too, you know? Yes. Yes. You know, and that's part of being 19 for those two. I mean, they, they have not played enough games to have, to understand who they, who they don't know who they are as people, let alone basketball players. So, I mean, exactly. I'll give them that leeway. But for a guy like Frank Jackson, who's in his third year now. And it seems like he still goes to these huge ebbs and flows with his play. 
there are just certain guys on this roster that you look at, even in each one more, who right now is playing very well. But there are times when he can just disappear on the court. And there are just a number of guys who that just seems like for on a night-to-night basis, they can either be there or not, and it may not make a difference. Is that part of the problem with the makeup of this roster too? Just the, the, the overall impact that some of these guys are? We look at them on paper and they're one thing, but when we see them on the court, they're not that. Anybody want to jump in on that one? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll go first. And the makeup of the roster is youth. And, David, that's why I like your piece, because we're going to get to it, I know. But mm-hmm. coming in this season, what were the priorities? And now we're looking back and seeing that trying to get everything, trying to be able to be a competitive team, because you've got all these veterans, but also you're looking, obviously, to the future because of all the young guys. I mean, you grab four guys from the last is suddenly kind of rearing its ugly head on, on how the situation can go bad, right? A lot of vets have been either hurt or underperforming. Did Griffin oversell, but we'll, we'll get to that. But, yeah, in terms of just uh, – let me see how I wanted to answer this because uh, <laughs> I think this team as a whole has a lot of good IQ. The problem is it's either underdeveloped with the young guys. They haven't – you know, they've got to refine their instincts, right? Because I think a person like Zion has an excellent feel for the game. So does uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker. Problem is, just like a young quarterback that comes in the NFL, they haven't learned all the routes that a defense is going to throw at you and uh, and suddenly be, I'm sorry, excuse me, all the type of schemes are going to throw at you. Suddenly they're going to be in certain of your favorite routes. You know, they, didn't, they don't see it. So they still have a lot to learn, in other words. Um, and, and I feel like that Pelicans have a lot of those type of guys. I think Brandon Ingram, Chris, just, just to argue with you, I think he's got a great IQ. When you look at what this guy at his height, his length, and, and the fact that he was gone, not touching a basketball for five months, but he's jumped right into an NBA season and he's basically put up numbers that only Kevin Durant's ever put up, right? Shooting 50% from the floor, 40 from three, 80 from the free throw line and scoring all those points is incredible. And, and I'm basing that also on the fact that his passing, the way he can carry an offense, he hasn't really come through the clutch time yet, but I think that's going to change. And he doesn't make those turnovers, right? When have we argued about Brandon Ingram dribbling off the ball, or excuse me, off his leg, kind of like Drew? As to where with Drew, I think he does have that IQ like you mentioned, but for him, it's just performance anxiety. Something causes his brain to seize up. So a lot of these players have a great IQ, but there's something, you know, um, restricting them, limiting them, and being that full uh, being able to be their best, basically, on the court. So that's been a big problem, I think. I think the roster construction, honestly, has been fine for the most part. I said, well, David, you and I have talked about, they did not address certain positions well or the makeup of the roster. There's some holes there. But overall, I like the type of guys they brought in. Just a lot of them have underperformed for one reason or another, whether, like I said, it's rookies, uh, getting their own, own heads like Drew, et cetera. Honestly, it feels like this franchise needs a sports psychologist. And I'm not saying that to be facetious. Yeah. I mean, like, there, there is a, yeah, there's a culture there that needs to be broken because guys, I think, in all – there are a number of guys you look up and down the roster who have been beaten down in one way or another, either by themselves or by external pressure or expectation and just transitions. You have a roster full of – in some ways, and I, and, and I think people will laugh, but, I'm, I mean – in the work perspective of traumatized workers in a, in a very real sense. And that's something I think that 
organizationally, and we see it more and more now with professional athletes, that could be something that the Pelicans really want to identify as something to get in the forefront of, not only with their physical rehabilitation, but also with dealing with players and their mindsets. I agree with you there. Um, I think you you see it often with with a guy like Lonzo very often who's been through hell on on the floor, off the floor. Um, you know, you see him thinking as the as the game goes on, overthinking, I should say, as the game goes, should I drive here? Should I pass here? Um, is this the time is this the time for me to shoot? You know, forget it. I'll I'll shoot, I'll go back on the other side of the floor. Um you know, uh, with with Drew, we see him so often get 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 caught up in the air. You know, making for whatever reason looking to pass while he's you know while he's jumping in the air. Or you know, you guys, we I mean, we've talked countlessly about him bouncing the ball off of off of his his leg. So, or even in that Lakers game uh, when they when when they secure the rebound and for whatever reason the ball is you know the ball is poked out off of him. Um, and then you know the, the Lakers come back down that possession. I don't remember if they hit a three or you know whatever it was. Um, I mean, all all over the place. Uh, I mean, anybody from that from that Lakers regime, you know, I mean, outside of Josh Hart, seems to you know, Josh Hart's the only one that I can look at and say, you know, has consistent confidence in all levels of his game from start from start to finish. No matter if it's the clutch, whatever whatever the case may be. You know, you can even see Brandon Ingram from time to time wondering, okay, should I be assertive here in this situation? You know, uh, should I, you know, or, he, you know, or he, he just looks like sometimes he's going through the motions trying to let other guys get theirs first versus understanding, you know, hey, now I'm the best scorer on this team. You know, it's it's up to me from the, from the tip-off to decide how this game is going to go. And, you know, you see other games where he comes out and scores 15 in the first quarter. But that that's a really good point about them, uh, about from – from top to bottom on this roster, you know, these guys have been through a lot, whether, whether they've been in on this franchise for a number of years, you know, or they've been, you know, or they're trying to adjust to their new role here. You got a guy like Melly who started off and had a great game in, in Toronto, who seems to, you know, can't find, can't find a three point jump shot. He's already struggling defensively. Um, I mean, it, you, you have a bunch of guys that can use some type of therapy right now, man, especially going through the stress where it feels like everything is falling. Uh, it, it's just it's one of those things that I think they could actively address. Like you, you know, you look Derek Favors now, and you, you you hate to bring it up, but you know the tragedy of losing his mother in the midst of a season that has so much at stake for him. You know, those are, there's just these number of issues that you have with these guys, and also just I think that that it would, you know, in establishing, I think that there are probably unseen things that are unsaid in that locker room because you have a number of people who the expectation was that they would be the guy, a number of people in that locker room. And at some point, it's probably going unsaid as to, like you said, with Brandon Ingram in the first quarter, do I have to wait for Drew to get off? Do I have to wait for JJ to get off? Do I have to wait for these guys to get going before I take my shots? You know, when Lonzo comes in, does he think, am I really in charge of this offense? I mean, it just feels like from body language and watching situations, just watching how the game is played, that that uncertainty is there and that it's deeper than just being on the court together, that there's something that's just not being conveyed message-wise. But doesn't that, doesn't that tie into the struggle? Well, when, you go in, when you're having all of those issues, doesn't that make having a freelance type of offense even more problematic? 
If guys aren't, yes. if guys aren't sure, yeah, I mean, if guys aren't sure of themselves, if they aren't sure, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> you know, of of each other, the last thing you should want them to do is say, okay, do what the hell you want, and we'll figure things out later. Gambling. It's not the most prevalent of topics at the family barbecue, but the truth is, it can be quite fun. Picking a couple of friends to play some friendly wagers before a game can immediately raise the stakes and make your Sundays even more exhilarating. And that's why I go to my bookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay when you win. Let's face it, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. Football fans, you can even bet after kickoff. So if it looks like your bet is fading, just take the other side. If you like to bet a lot, try a parlay. You can multiply your winnings and brag to your friends as the money rolls in. But now is the best time to join because my bookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code CHAIR to activate the offer. That's promo code CHAIR. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. Yeah, I, that's, that's actually a great point. And I'm going to turn over. Just, I just want to say this really quickly. Because when you think about it, the teams that have played at that tempo and been successful, whether it's the Golden State Warriors um, those were people who had, by the time they got to that point, when the offense was the thing that they unleashed in that manner, they had already got figured out who was doing what. You know, Clay was the standstill shooter who moved. You know, Draymond was the defender. Steph was the, the offensive catalyst. Uh, Andre Iguodala was the secondary ball handler and the defender. So they had their roles, whether it, whether it was Steve Nash and Sean Marion and Amari Stoudemire. Those were experienced players who understood the NBA, understood decision-making, had and were very confident in what their uh, situation was in the offense. So, yeah, I think you're – actually, that's something that I had not considered, but that's a great point. Anybody else want to chime in on that? Yeah, real quick, I want to also say that uh, – and, Kevin, I'm sorry. We'll, we'll get right. to you in a sec, but – um, in clutch minutes, it's very important to bring this up too, right? When the game's on the line, don't be afraid to make mistakes. They're going to happen. I feel like with the Pelicans, they seize up and, and they don't even give themselves a chance. Or when a mistake happens, it snowballs, right? With Drew, how many times does he have one bad play and suddenly it, it's two or three within two minutes? As to where the Russell Westbrooks, James Harden, even Steph Curry, these guys make turnovers, and then before you know it, they're splashing in the next two shots from deep or whatever it may be, two positive plays. The Pelicans don't have that mentality. I feel like that definitely per- has always permeated this roster simply because of the two guys at the top. Drew has had confidence issues. Anthony number one, and we saw progressively, actually, I feel like over the course of his career here, get worse to where he kept on going further and further away from the rim as to where last clutch situations last year ended up with Anthony Davis shooting the three ball. I mean, his worst part of his game, and yet that's what it came down to. I just feel like that the Pelicans, you know, they get in their own way because of this simple fact. You're going to make some mistakes, but they, they just can't overcome it. And that's why I think that sports psychology stuff is a great thing to talk about uh, because <laughs> I feel like a lot of those issues may actually be able to be solved with that rather than the coaching staff working with these guys on a practice court. Uh, what do you think, Kev? Something yeah. There? yeah, no, I, I agree with uh, everything you guys said. I mean, I think what Chris brought up is, is, you know, is very true. You know, when you have guys that are unsure of themselves in a role, um, you know, I was just going to make the joke. It's like when you are playing 2K or season and you go in uh, the coaching options and you set, you know, for when you simulate first scoring option, second scoring option, third scoring option, you know, that's something that they kind of need to do because there is no clear hierarchy and it's 
it, it's always been like that. I mean, remember when we were talking, when we acquired DeMarcus Cousins, we were talking and, and we saw how that um, worked in the locker room, how it seemed like Anthony Davis was a little bit upset about some of the shine that DeMarcus was getting early on in that, in that first full season together when he was putting up those monster numbers and everybody was talking to him and AD was off to the side, you know, when, when things like this happen, sometimes they cause ripple effects throughout the roster. And, and then again, for the young guys who are trying to develop, they get thrown in there and they don't know when to take over. They don't know who they need to get going. Um, So yeah, it does create a trickle down effect throughout the whole roster and the whole system. I guess then the the next question then becomes, okay, well we were we go we have to go to David Griffin and the promises that were made at the beginning of the season, the way that the team was supposed to be evaluated, um, where we all understood that it was a youth movement. I don't think it was sold that way. I don't think fans received it that way. I think that they believed that this team was immediately going to be competitive and and contend for a playoff spot. And we thought that that was the, at the very best, if all things went well, they could be a 40-plus win team. But clearly those things have not all gone well. And the likelihood of them making the playoffs diminishes every day, even if the schedule gets easier. What, how do you adjust the expectations at this point? How do you deal with David Griffin and the expectations that he set and the perception that Pelicans fans have? And how do we evaluate it at, at the almost a quarter of the way through the season. Yeah. I mean, like what we're just talking about, he came out and said, Drew holiday is an MVP candidate. So now Brandon Ingram, Lonzo ball, Nikhil Alexander Walker, these guys might feel they have to defer to drew holiday and get him the ball, get him the ball in the clutch. Alvin Gentry might feel like he needs to do that to make his boss happy. You know, Um, I'm not necessarily saying that it truly affects them, but that was something that, is in the back of people's minds and not only that coming out and saying we're going to bust people's asses you know like that's fine whatever and and a slogan like we won't bow down these kind of things when you know that you have a young team that needs to be developed um i think we all like you said we all thought that the ceiling was maybe like a sixth seventh seed for this team um but we all saw a very realistic 12 13 seed kind of season as well um but you know you're you're bringing in one of the most nba ready rookies probably at least on the offensive end um and and zion williamson who has great instincts defensively but maybe you know he, he doesn't know schemes very very well yet and uh Nikhil Alexander-Walker, who looked like he was ready to contribute from day one from summer league and preseason. Now he hit hit a little bit of a slump offensively scoring wise. um, And now he's not getting minutes for whatever reason, which I still think he's a guy that's one of the better all around contributors on this squad that's now sitting on the bench, but probably because the coach feels like he has to win a bunch of games instead of shifting to where we can, develop these guys and get them ready for the long haul because at the end of the day, Alvin Gentry knows this is his fifth year and he hasn't produced anything yet except for one playoff series win, you know, and, uh, and then the management saying that we're going to bust people's asses, you know, we're, the goal is the playoffs. This guy on our team is going to be an MVP. 
So now it's hurting the development of a guy who actually I think on court is better than some of the other guys that he's playing just because of a shooting slump and because he's young. So there's all these factors that trickle down from the expectation that was levied by um, by the president of the team going into the season. And it, it does, you know, fans were expecting a team that came out and, and uh, roared to immediate success, even though they were integrating all these parts because of what he was sold, what, what we were sold. Um, and I think it was a little bit detrimental. I think, it's fine to be like, yes, I think this team could be a very good team, that it could be a playoff team. But I also understand that we have a lot of young talent, a lot of new faces that we need time to integrate. So it might not be this year, but we're going to be great in the next couple of years. And uh, we're going to be fun. You know, sell it on the fun factor because the team is fun. I mean, you look at Jackson, what Jackson Hayes is doing out there, even though he doesn't really understand health defense yet, um, you know, his presence is stopping people from getting in the paint. He's blocking shots and he's, you know, at least one or two highlight dunks every game. And then, you know, Brandon Ingram's playing great. Drew Holiday's having stretches of great play. JJ's hot from outside. So we have all these things that are fun. And then especially when you start to incorporate Zion back in and that highlight film of a player that he is, you know, it's going to be fun. And I felt like that's more of what we should have sold this team on and how fun and exciting it's going to be as they grow instead of we're going to come out and put our foot on people's throats, which hasn't happened, obviously. Yeah, I just think that was a yeah, tremendous but- mistake. And Ali, I mean, I, we've talked about this is just you can't go in two directions at once. You can't say we're going for the playoffs and talk about developing young players at the exact those those are competing interests. And when you ask a coach to do both of those things, I don't see how, and again, we can evaluate Alvin in one way, but the mission of the organization can't be in two directions at once. No, and that's why I want you to expand on your thoughts, but we're seeing what's happening here. The Pelicans, Alvin Gentry is opting a lot more to win, playing Drew Holiday 40 minutes. Nikhil Alexander suddenly is nowhere to be seen. And I agree with you. That That's a problem. But I want you, David, to finish up because you wrote a great article over there on Crescent City Sports. And then I, I guess we'll wrap up with uh, B.I. and Lonzo. Yeah. So my thought had been, I mean, you just the history of the league shows you when you have young players or you're trying to rebuild a team. It's we know statistically it's just not an overnight process. You look at the team like the Philadelphia 76ers and Joel Embiid's first year, they won 28 games his first year on the floor, not the year that he missed. But his first full year on the floor, they, they they won 28 games, and they had 19 guys on that roster, and 16 of them had three years of experience or less. So they knew what they were building. They said, we're going to lose with these guys, and we're going to build them as a group. And now you see where Philly is. The same thing when you look around the league, you look at where Nikola Jokic was. He, they were talking about trading him. Jokic was the guy that Denver was in love with and during that first year, and they were a sub-500 team. And then it took three years for them to be even become a playoff team. You just don't see that. And then you take the history of lottery picks. You take some of the greatest players in the history of this league, and they're not getting to, you know, LeBron James, Steph Curry, all these five, six years into their careers before they're getting to the finals. It's not something that you do traditionally with number one picks or with really young teams is see a lot of success in that first year. 
And it's the Pelicans trying to do both of those things. I think it hurts guys like a Derek Favors, a J.J. Redick, and a Drew Holiday. Because honestly, I think they expected one thing. And, and I think it hurts the rookies and the younger players because I think they expected to be on the floor more and to be given more opportunities to, as you guys said earlier, to fail. And you cannot do both of those things. If you're asking Alvin to win, then he's got a coach to win. If you're asking him to develop, then you're, you're, you're setting a completely different expectation for him and for the fans. And I think that it's already turned people off to this team because they feel like they've been sold a bill of goods. Yeah, well, I mean, I I think um, it's clear that that Griff sent a mixed message, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not so sure that he didn't do that on purpose, right? I mean, I I think he was very clear, at least in his mindset, of what he was trying to convey. Maybe he thought that if he sent if he sent out a mixed message, that you know he could kind of play both sides, and. I mean, in, in, in fairness, when he made these comments, I'm sure he didn't expect Jackson Hayes to be playing as many minutes as he is. Or, I mean, hell, I mean, if the, if the goal was to truthfully redshirt him, he wouldn't be playing at all. He's playing in the G League right now. You know, I'm sure that uh, he didn't expect – he wasn't expecting Zion to be hurt um, and to be just making his debut in a few weeks here. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think he – you know, he, he took uh, Alonzo Ball and, you know, in, in his – whether it be injury or the total November he's had uh, in in totality. I mean, all there are surrounding factors that unfortunately makes any type of well his his one of his messages about them being a playoff team, being able to beat people's asses, it kind of completely disrupts it, right? Now the other thing is I and I was I was one to say okay, well I, I didn't mind the Drew Holiday comment you know, as as much as as I see a lot of people did, you know, who, who thought that there's no way that he even believed it himself. Um, I think Griff was trying his best to take the pressure off of a lot of these guys. I mean, you saw when he was, you know, with the comments he made about Zion, um, you know, and the, the comment about Drew, unfortunately, you know, it, it maybe it does, you know, put uh, the onus on Drew to, you know, to come out and play at an MVP candidate level. I mean, but hell, and even for a guy that's not playing, even playing his best basketball, he's still like he's about a point away from averaging exactly what he did last year, which is incredible. So maybe if he if he ends up once these guys get get healthy and he's playing uh, top top level basketball, you know from you know from start to finish, maybe you know those numbers do go up and we see a little bit closer of what Griffin was was talking about. But I think that Griffin was trying his best to protect everyone involved. Keep the keep the pressure off of them and take it and take it upon on his shoulders, and you know unfortunately you know some fans saw saw right through that, you know uh, some people feel like they were um, they were they were led astray in a in a in a fashion that to just sell tickets, but if the team was healthy and they were unperforming, if Zion was out here and this team was six and thirteen, then you know I could maybe understand you know the you know the the sense of uh, you know, the anger or the resentment that anybody has towards towards him or towards the organization right now. But, you know, I, I think it's really hard to judge him and to say if he overpromised when, uh, I mean, simply all the pieces that he thought was going to be here, they're not here. Yeah, but I would say my counter to that would be, well, then you shouldn't have run your mouth before you knew what you had. 
You know what I mean? You haven't even you haven't even fought your first round, and you're already telling people what you're going to do. And I think when you say the expectation is if you're talking to anybody about an MVP candidate, is that you've got to win. You better be damn near winning 50 games if you want to even be in the conversation for an MVP. And and there are ways that Griffin could have said it. He could have said Drew gets to be the guy here. But when you say MVP, that's a whole different expectation. And and maybe you pick the wrong guy to put those three letters on his back. Maybe he's not capable of not the expectation of playing well every night. But when you have and raising his his profile is fine too because Drew was in and is an under-respected player by the casual fan. But you don't throw that on that guy if that's not what he's capable of carrying on his shoulders. You don't go out in public and say this is what we're going to do. And at the same time, you're saying, well, anybody telling Nikhil he's not going to get minutes, that's going to be news to him. And then Jax is going to sit out almost this whole season while we get him a red shirt. And you're saying all these things, and they are all going in two different directions in hindsight. And at the time, it felt strange to listen to Griffin say it because we all came in with the assumption that, hey, these these other guys, yes, if everything goes well, but he took the if out of it. He was like, well, this is the expectation now. And the if is much more tantalizing and is much more reasonable than starting with, here's where we are. And then if that bar is where you placed it and you're not meeting it for whatever reason, six and 13 is six and 13. And that's what people were looking at. It's the same what they were talking about with Alvin. Injuries, whatever, all these things, the the mismanagement, the trades, all this stuff, his record is his record. And at, at some point, it's not like you want to kick Griffin out the boat, but he has to, he can't just show up when things are good and do all the interviews in the press then. And then when they go on these yeah. losing streaks, you don't see him. And he's not out there talking then. And he's not out there in the national media then. But when his team is doing well or when there's a camera in town and once it's the big show, oh, he's there on TV then. So you got to talk about talk to these fans and explain to them why you're screwing up, man, and why this team is 6-13. and 13. You want to be out there and talk about how great Zion is going to be and how much you love him? Cool. But you got to come out and be accountable too because that's the difference that people expected when he took over for Dell. Dell was the non-communicative guy, and that was the problem. Griff should be talking about something if he's going to be running his mouth. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you made that. I just want to jump in and add that that line, right, David? We've talked about ad nauseum of kicking people's asses, you know. Obviously, every team wants to come out win, regardless, even if you were the, the seller dweller last year. But it was everything else to it that you've just perfectly uh, eloquently said that obviously surmises that Griffin meant a lot more than just kicking people's asses. We, we have an expectation of winning. So... Yeah, he's now got to own it, and I think we, we kind of have the sense that they are by the fact that he has not been as visible. I mean, I don't really – I understand what you're saying, but I don't, at the same time, I don't know what he can do now to either alleviate people's disappointment, et cetera, by coming out and talking about what. We see what's going on. They're underperforming at key at times. The defense has not gotten their act together. The coaching staff has not been able to get these guys – running in their system uh, perfectly. There's a lot of young guys, a lot of rookies suddenly thrown into bigger roles. And, I mean, it's just a slew of things, right? So what is he supposed to come out and explain that to us? I kind of feel like that's our job, and that's why I really enjoy when 
things go south, we don't run from actually addressing the issue, right? We don't continue to just talk about positive. Oh, just, hey, let's just look at Brandon Ingram, what he's doing, or how J.J. Redick is, is, you know, having one of his finest seasons from three-point range so far. No, no, I think that's more on us. I don't think that's on Griffin. I mean, look around the league. How many GMs come out uh, and talk about, you know, <laughs> what's going down, what's going wrong, What's why the ship is sinking, right? I don't see it too often in any sport. So I don't think that's on him to explain, David, no, but I agree. I, but I guess what I'm not Go saying ahead. is it's not on him to explain, but if you were going to run out in front on these <coughs> other things, then you can't hide for the other stuff. Either either you just – because I think he does run to the cameras when it, when it benefits the Pelicans and it benefits him in that regard. And, again, I'm not making a value judgment, but that, this year that's what we've seen. He's quick to give interviews when they are, are positive pieces. But when we have not seen yeah, him talk to the media that. and talk about any of these other things, because it's, it goes back, it just, it, to me, it's just like, I don't know, it just feels like he's, 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 the PR part of it is, is really big for the Pelicans right now. And I think that they took a misstep mm -hmm. and they have not figured out how to get back in alignment with what they were trying to do public relations wise on that too. No, I agree. Chris, do you want to add something before we move on? Cause we are kind of beating this yeah. to death. I think we've gotten our yeah. you know, points out. Yeah. I, I think we covered it, man. We can, we can move so, forward. So then what ultimately then just the two things, I guess uh, I'd like to kind of finish out. Uh, well, three things, there's three questions I want to finish out. The first one is for everybody and let's do this one really quickly. So what do you think the goal should be? For the remainder of the season, what are the, the should the realistic goals for the franchise be? Chris, we'll start with you. Well, um, I mean, I don't know if 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 you can ever get to this point to where everyone everyone is healthy, you know. But I think that I think the fans and everyone everyone supporting the team at least at least should get the opportunity to see. And hopefully, you know, we're talking about mid December with favorites. Hopefully, I mean, even though he's going through a lot right now, there's no rush, and you know, asking him to come back. But you know, I, I would, I would assume we're looking by the time Zion returns. You know, we would hope unless Lonzo gets another another injury of some sort, he'll be back. Kendrick, Kendrick Williams' ankle should be healed by then, and you know, and, and hopefully Favors is back. I would hope that everyone gets an opportunity to see exactly what this team looks like, veterans and all. Um, and then you can make and then you can make decisions from there. Uh, now, unfortunately, I, I mean, I, I know we talked about we, you know, we talked about this beforehand in reference to do you consider trading, a, you know, a JJ Redick or you know, I mean, hell, even even a Derek Favors, depending on what teams what teams come knocking because they surely will. That puts you at a spot to where you only have from the time that, that Zion returns, roughly, you only have a couple months to kind of see figure things out, which may put more added pressure on these guys. But I think, you know, everyone deserves at least to see exactly what this team looks like. And then I guess after that, you you know, you make decisions from there. If they make a run, you keep things, you know, you keep things moving forward together and see how far they can take it. And if they continue to be a 500 team and things don't, uh, things don't progress much, you know, then at some point you gotta, you gotta consider pulling the plug and, you know, moving forward with the, with the youth movement, with the, the youth movement, which I don't think is going to hurt anybody either. Uh, Kevin? Yeah, I, I wish they would continue to be a 500 team, but they haven't been a 500 team. Um, but uh, yeah, I think 
the immediate thing that they need to do is figure out a way to make a trade that doesn't mortgage like a young player that they're trying to develop or a really good future draft pick to get some rim protection because the rim without favors, it's a nightmare back there. And I'm tired of, I don't ever want to see Julia Loka for again. Um, I mean, I'm not like really trying to shit on him because like, I do think Julia Loka for has amazing footwork, great post moves. He's a great guy that if you want to dump the ball down to him and let him work in the post, he's going to, he's going to be a good factor for you, but we are never going to do that. And he doesn't do the other things that we need him to do well enough to, to have him on the court. Um, so I think they really need to upgrade, upgrade rim protection immediately. And then when Zion comes back, give it about two or three weeks if you can, um, and see how the team is, is going then. And then if you know for sure, playoffs are definitely out, out of sync. Give most minutes to the young guys that you're trying to develop and you're trying to figure out and perhaps trade off some of those um, vets like JJ or Favors to get them into better situations for them and for you to get some um, assets back. Um, and that's how I would approach it. Yeah, the trade deadline yeah. is February 7th, just so we all have perspective. So, right. So, you, do have, you should have a couple of weeks to feel out how Zion is before you have to make moves. About six weeks total, maybe six to seven weeks of, of, of game action, depending on when I, Zion comes back. But that's about the time frame we're talking about. So, Ali, go ahead. Yeah. Just real quick on the jaw thing. There's not a nicer, more cordial guy, and I don't think there's a more ill-fitting piece for both Gentry and Bazdelic system. You can't get this guy playing that up-tempo type of ball, making the passes, all that stuff, and still – having to deal with his responsibilities underneath the rim on both ends of the floor under either one of those coaches. So I don't begrudge him too much by understanding his sentiments, Kevin. I think that's what you're alluding to. He just can't really get it. It's not his fault. Like the situation isn't good for him or for us. Yeah. I want to clear that up just in case people want to know Kevin's not, there's not a mean bone in Kevin's body. When he says something, it has to do with, you know, what, what's taking place, not actual hatred towards any individual. Uh, As far as, well, except Marco uh, Bellinelli. <laughs> God, yeah, that's true. Um, as far as your question, David, it's very simple. It should have always been about development, but now there's no question about it after this rough start. And that's why I had a tweet the other day. I don't want to hear any more playoff talking to Pelicans, regardless of their potential, which we know is is always, always going to be decent had they been all healthy. But that that's not the point you can't even – imagine living in that fantasy land anymore so my two biggest keys is i want to see lonzo ball return back to the starting lineup if he's ever going to work you want to see him be evaluated up against starters in this league to where he also he's given the best chance to be successful and by that i mean he needs to play alongside zion he needs to play against or alongside brandon ingram and drew holiday to where all that pressure is off him he has outlets he can pick and choose his spots he has shown that he can develop and we saw that through the improvements in his three-point shot thus far, his catch-and-shoot ability. So there's hope, I think, and it should be for a lot of other people, that he can improve upon his playmaking ability, getting to the rim, making those drives that everybody keeps harping about. Uh, but remember, he's a young guy, and it, it takes a lot more time with some others than, say, like Brandon Ingram, for instance, who seemingly has stepped into 
a superstar type of trajectory. Uh, and this goes back to his Laker days, but um, to where he, the way he wrapped up last season before the injury hit. But Lonzo's not obviously on that same path. But I want to see him be given that chance because his talent is there. Every coach has gushed about what Lonzo could potentially be. That's why David, myself, a lot of others thought he would be the centerpiece of any Anthony Davis deal, not Brandon Ingram. So you got to give him that chance. And of course, if you're going to give Lonzo a chance, I think you got to give Nikhil that chance. We, how many times guys have harped on when there's no Drew Holiday out there, no Lonzo Ball, how the offense dies, seemingly dies more times than not. You know, the coaching staff tries to get, usually it's been Brandon Ingram out there to kind of run that offense, but it just doesn't work. So why we having Nikhil sit on the bench, and especially in lieu of Frank Jackson, who has struggled for I don't know how many weeks now. You know, we I'm a Frank Jackson fan, but he's not cutting it right now. So he should not be seeing any minutes. And yeah, he's almost his role is almost diminished completely. But where's Nikhil? We know what this guy can do, but we also know how many growing pains are going to be associated with it. But Pelicans are 6-13, and 13. just like with Lonzo. Let's see what these guys can do. Let's see their development take place. Let this season not be lost completely. Um, so let's take advantage of that, right? There's real minutes, real games to be played. You want to see these guys grow. If they are the future, give it to them. What do you All think, right, David? Yeah, let's do I, – I think that the that ultimately the goal is, is about player development. I, I don't care. If they win 28 games and I find out that, yes, Nikhil Alexander-Walker – can be a strong two-way player um, by the end of the season. If I find out that, hey, maybe I do need to move Frank Jackson because he's one-dimensional, or I figure out, hey, Frank can be really explosive in that role um, as a sixth or seventh man off the bench if I only allow him to, you know, just be a scorer and he can do those things well. I want to figure those things out. I know who Derek Favors is. He's on a, he's in the last year of his contract. I can't evaluate Derek. And I, and I feel like, again, with this short amount of time, are we being fair to a guy who put his career basically in the Pelicans' hands? Is that franchise going to be fair to him and hold on to him for an entire season that may end up with 30 wins? You know, at, the, at this stage of his career, are you going to do that to J.J. Redick and Etwan Moore, who we had heard were all unsatisfied early on with certain things about their role and with the offense and, and maybe even with the direction of the team. So... Yeah, I'm about the I'm of the mindset that player development should be key. Now let's go through some rapid fire stuff so we can wrap up and let you guys have your your morning. Um, really quickly, um, the ceiling for this team if Zion is when he comes back, uh, Kevin. Uh, I think right now we're probably not a playoff team just because we dug ourselves such a hole. Um, but I could see an eighth seed possible. I I think we're more about the nine and tenth seed. Yeah, I mean, uh, Ali. Yeah, 500-ball club when Zion returns, we've seen enough holes. For them to be anything more, there's going to be a lot of other guys that need to step up. We've already mentioned the problems. Drew Hawley's got to be a better decision maker. Um, they got to be better at closing down the stretch. And, of course, the defense has got to find something. Chris? Yeah, yeah, I'm with you guys. I mean, when you when you look at the, the teams that are that are in front of them right now, uh, you know, in the conference, the you know the Spurs, the the Portland Trailblazers. I mean, even even the Sacramento Kings, who played who played really well last year. I mean, you know, you probably you probably would have more sense of optimism with in reference to them figuring things out and you know being being more of a of an eight seed, uh, considering some of the the veteran leadership specifically in San Antonio and Portland. Uh, than you would right now with New Orleans, who has so many things to figure out and put together, and 
um, once everyone, once Zion is healthy, you know, you start, you're back at square one trying to figure out who's going to play, who's going to sit. Um, I think that 9, 10, 11 area is probably best, best case. Uh, Brandon Ingram, most improved player in the league this year. Chris, yes or no? Uh, I mean, it's, I think it's, it's between him and uh, Pascal Siakam. Uh, but, I mean, when you look at the numbers, Brandon has, uh, at, from assists to, to, to rebounds to his percentages, uh, you know, he's pretty much improved everything. So uh, I don't think anyone's made, made a bigger leap overall he has, and I, I would say yes. And I, and I want to just point this out before I go to the next person. It has not been due to a significant increase in minutes. And a lot of times people will get an award like most improved player because their production went up because their minutes did. Brandon Ingram is not seeing a significant increase of minutes to go along with his production. Ali, most improved, yes or no? Easily hands down for me a yes. When you're on a suddenly a trajectory kind of like Kevin Durant, and Siakam kind of did this last year. But, of course, you know what? The way national media is going to look at it, Toronto's, what, second in the Eastern Conference, 14-4, and four, and seemingly Kawhi Leonard who? True, but Siakam may get more MVP votes than MIP votes with that. Good, good. Uh, good. Because that way it's the MIP that he deserves. Uh, Kevin, yes or no? Um, I'll say yes, but I think one thing that hurts him and, and – um, is the fact that he was such a high draft pick and like, it's something that you sort of expect the player to develop into. I mean, I know he's gone a little bit above that, um, but you like, I mean, Siakam is, you know, drafted so late in the draft and then has made yet another great leap as the man. He has a good case. And also a guy like Devante Graham in, uh, in Charlotte who nobody really, thought anything about is really tearing it up, even though the team's not very good. But again, our team isn't very good either. So, um, you know, there might be some wild cards out there, but as of now, I would say, yeah, it, it would go to Ingram. All right. Lastly, um, before we jet, let me make sure I've covered all the questions that we had from the, the uh, listeners. And I'm sorry, I didn't say names, but a lot of these things just got answered within the scope of our conversations. So, uh, I think the last thing is we just kind of do need to address uh, the Lonzo Ball situation. Um, How confident are you guys very quickly in his return and once he returns in his ability to still be an effective player for this team? Uh, Ali, we'll start with you on this one. I am worried because of the role um, going forward. Alvin Gentry made him a reserve before he just missed a couple of games due to the stomach virus. We know his confidence wasn't there at the start of the year. David, when we were talking to, you know, other media, some of the coaches and stuff, that was obviously the biggest thing in Lonzo Ball's game uh, or thing he needed to improve was that confidence level. Suddenly you're jerking around his minutes and his role. That That's the only pause for concern for me. But overall, I think you still have to remain hopeful about this guy's career becoming something. Kevin just nailed it. Ingram, high draft pick, and he didn't live up to expectations at all. Suddenly he does. I don't see any reason why Lonzo Ball can't start living up to expectations once he gets some of that confidence back and starts utilizing his talent. Kev? Um, yeah, we uh, have a, a roundtable coming up where we discuss uh, Lonzo. Or we already put that one out, right? And, and uh, you know, the thing with him is I was very high on him coming over. I thought we were going to get sort of like a souped-up version of what we had with Rajon Rondo because – Lonzo was still a guy who worked hard on defense. 
he brought that size to the backcourt. He brought rebounding and his playmaking was, was, uh, you know, seemingly phenomenal. Um, although it hasn't really translated so well, we've seen some flashy passes here and there. It's been steady. It hasn't been as amazing as I thought it would be. And part of the main reason is, is because he's not doing what Rondo used to do, which is drive into the paint and then create out of that. Um, he stopped short. He's been settling a lot for his three point shot. I think, you know, he's heard so much criticism over his shot for, for so many years that that's mainly what he's focused on in the off season is improving his jumper. And that's what he's falling back on and trying to show that he has that jumper instead of doing things that has made him successful. And, you know, I mean, he's had very short runs because every one of his seasons has been cut so short by injury, but when he looked promising, he was driving in the lane, kicking out, making flashy passes. Um, and we just haven't really seen that. Um, he didn't develop a floater. He's stopping mid, mid-range mid a lot of times on drives and doing a fallback jumper. And it's just not doing anything to help. You know, the defense isn't collapsing on him. He's not putting pressure on them to, to uh, go at the rim. Uh, he's not getting to the line because he's not attacking the rim. Um there was a game where he finally attacked it super hard, ran into a defender, got called for a charge, and it really was upsetting because I, I've told this story before, but um, when I was younger, my grandfather was a chronically, terribly slow driver. It was painful to ride in the car with him. He would drive so slow. One day, a cop pulled him over and gave him a ticket for going two miles over the speed limit, and we were all like, oh my God, now he's never going to, you know, drive at a decent pace. And that happened to Lonzo. And I just fear that like the one time he attacked with some purpose, he got called for a charge and uh, you know, it's just gonna, he needs that confidence. Like you said, like his confidence is hurting. And the one time he does the thing that you want him to do, he gets penalized for it. And it's just worrying that this is going to be, a long-term problem for him or something that won't be solved in enough time for us to know if he is the cornerstone to build back there as, as our lead point guard. And uh, if we have to move him or not, we don't know if we're going to have the time uh, to figure that out. So it's very troubling. I'm still high on him. <coughs> Obviously I think he has a lot of tools to be a very successful NBA player and a top level NBA player, not just your average kind of guy. Um, but what we've seen from him so far has been has been a huge letdown. I mean, he's been bad this year. He hasn't had that impact defensively that we thought he would have. And then, of course, offensively, he's not um, he's not getting the team running, and he's not contributing uh, scoring wise either. So, which I didn't expect a lot from in that area, and he's failed miserably on top of my low expectations of his scoring. So. You know, it's a tough situation, and I hope he figures out whatever it is, and I hope the team figures out how to use him um, quickly because we definitely need him, as we've talked about with crush time minutes and counting on other guys to figure out their roles. We need a guy to sort of dictate that for them. Chris? Uh, well, what's funny about about uh, the uh, comparison that you, that you brought up, Kevin, that particular play, the play before in that Utah game was the complete opposite. He drove down, he drove down the paint, made a nice, made a nice uh, decisive move, 
uh, and got a finger roll in, you know, off of a off of a drive. It was literally the play before. So, you know, the play that you're speaking about, it's you know, it's, it's so unfortunate because for him to do, for him to drive to the basket, you know, decisively and you know, and and hard back to back times, you know, it, it, it's rare. We haven't seen it much. I don't think since since the Houston game. What I worry about with Lonzo, it isn't even him. It, it's 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 the guys. It's Alvin Gentry, and who's whoever's whoever is his coach in reference to the leash that you have him on, because if when he has confidence issues that go back to his days playing playing alone, Luke Walton. I, I mean, a lot of it has to do with his role. He was moving around so often. I come off the bench. I'm playing here. Okay. Well, well, well when I'm starting, I'm gonna I'm gonna start up. Okay. Well, now I have the ball and I'm gonna do this. You know, uh, his rookie season it was pretty much all about him. Uh, and his role has it's changed so much. I think he has to. New Orleans was supposed to be a fresher breath there for him. And if you're bringing him off the bench now, whether it be because you know you were working him back into the to the rotation because of injury, or you just feel like he's better served off the bench. Well, it's not much different from what he was doing in in Los Angeles, which kind of played mess with the inconsistent play, you know, that he was at. You gotta, we have to be sure what exactly he's going to do. If he's gonna come off the bench, let him settle into that, and I'm pretty sure he'll find his way. He found his way in Los Angeles uh, doing that a little bit before he uh, before he got before he got hurt. Um, and Did we lose Chris? I think we did. Anything below that is where you see the numbers drop off. All of his percentages, you know, across the board, uh, his, his numbers, his his, his uh, offensive rating. Chris, Chris, we losing you. Chris, you you. Really show what he can do. And a guy that's shooting with confidence like that, you don't really can learn through trial and error. You don't really learn, but you have a chance to go out there. If you make a mistake, you don't have to look over your, you know, the back of your neck to see if he's trying to put on uh, his, you know, his, uh, his knee pad to come into the game. I, you know, Zion, I mean, I'm sorry. Zion don't need an opportunity to play with Zion, who seems to, they, those two, and I know Greg mentioned it, those two seem to have, or they appear to have the best chemistry uh, from, Preseason game one from you know, the the open practice. Uh, you know you want to see something back in the starting lineup and and, and and playing with Zion does something gives him an extra you know an extra jolt of confidence overall. Uh, but either way you slice it, whatever role he plays, he has to be able to make mistakes. And you know I think the best way to do that is to have him. Uh, I would have him in the starting lineup and play him over thirty minutes. Can't be, you know, so often about matchup base. We can't have a Toronto situation, you know, from the beginning of the year. But first game of the year, you know, he started out playing so many places that we don't see him for the rest of the game. But then it's okay, Lonzo, go out there and start overtime and win us the game. It, it can't be that way. It can't be consistency. But I think overall, if he gets that, he'll give you that. Uh, Chris, a lot of what you said, unfortunately. Your mic was really messed up, and I hate that. So I'm sure Preston will have fun editing that. So I'm sure he's gonna cut all this out. But if, let's see. Um, uh, I think the gist, if if I'm correct, the gist of what you're saying is yeah, give him the opportunity to play. And there's a couple things that that as I wrap this up, because this is our last point. Um, as I wrap this up, let's just there are things that I want to look at with Zoe. 
He's playing the fewest minutes per game of his career at 27 for the Pelicans this season, um, which was surprising to me. I didn't realize his minutes were that low, even considering the games that he's um, missed. But across the board, his per 36 numbers and his advanced numbers are pretty good. His, his PR is the highest of his career, even though PR is a flawed stat. We know true shooting percentage is the highest of his career. Um, his offensive re- rebounding percentage is where it has dipped. His total rebounding percentage has dipped, which has been a huge change for him, the drop-off there. Um, his assist percentage is the highest of his career. His steals percentage is in line with career numbers. His usage is high. His turnovers percentage is, is the lowest of his career. And he's actually um, giving the Pelicans positive offensive and win- defensive win shares at 0.1. But for most of this roster being a negative, that's a bit surprising. Um, the biggest drop-off with Lonzo, and Ali mentioned this earlier, has been on the defensive side. He's just, he's been, he came in with the repetition as an, an, as an elite defender, and it's not working correctly for some reason with the Pelicans. My thing for Alonzo is a lot like what you guys say at Equisite. He's like Butch McCray at the end of Blue Chips. And when he's talking to the coach and he's talking to Nick Nolte and he's like, Coach, this is not the office for me. I got to be in a 1-4 where I have the ball and I get to see the floor. And I think that's a lot of the same thing that Chris said, that Kevin said, that Ali said. You guys, put the ball in his hands and figure out the rest. Let the other stuff work around that if he's going to be the point guard because his skill set as a point guard is not the same as a John Morant. He's not going to be like a Damon Stoudemire. I mean, um, he's not going to be like a um, uh, Damian Lillard. He's not going to be like those guys. He's not a guy break you down off the dribble. So you have to figure out those things for Lonzo and create those situations. And I think that's where the Pelicans have struggled. I think he can still be a top-tier point guard in this league. But, yes, mentally he has a, a ways to go. Physically, he certainly has a ways to go, but I think the team needs to adapt to him. All right, game again, game, game this evening against this afternoon against the Thunder in the Smoothie King Center. They just played him two days ago. Uh, quick predictions on that, and then let's get out of here. Uh, Chris was. Chris <laughs> I, think was I'm the only one. I think I'm the only one. Everybody else. So it's, we lost the rest of the guys. So Kevin, this is just me and you, Kevin. What's your expectation for tonight? I think it's going to be a little bit worse than it was the the night before. I don't think we're going to be in this game as much as we were. Um, you know, I just without favors, um, it's it's really tough. You we have nobody that is a, a reliable rim uh, protector. I think they're going to keep driving in the lane. I think Adams is going to feast. Um, Jackson Hayes, you know, he he's doing a much better job than I expected. Um, and he's really um, deferring some guys out of out of the lane, but you know he's just not a guy that knows health defense and stuff he's like that. He's too light in the ass, too. Yeah, I mean, that too. Just, and he can get pushed around by Stephen Adams. But look, you got to give him credit; he's doing a good job for where he is in his career. And um, he's his fighting body. hard. Yeah. He's yeah, he's he's got all the effort and energy that you want. But the problem is when he leaves the floor, you get Julio Okafor, which we've already discussed, and Melly, who lost his shot and isn't doing those small things that he was doing early in the season and in preseason that made him look like he could be a contributor to this team. So it's almost like, I feel like if you, when Jackson isn't on the floor, it's kind of pointless to even put another uh, big in there, which is going to hurt you obviously, but the bigs that you're putting in there aren't helping you in any way. So maybe you need to counteract that with just trying to, 
outrun, outscore, and outball handle, um, and just have you know, like, well, obviously we're without Kendrick too, which is going to kill us uh, in this game. So, um, you know, play more like Ingram at the five and Hart at the five, which it sounds terrible, but I don't see how that is going to hurt at any worse than having Julio Ogafor or Melly on the court. You know, you have guys that can at least stretch the floor. Josh Hart fights for rebounds. I mean, obviously he's going to get outsized down there, but you might be able to draw Adams out, out of the paint if you have the smaller lineup and have some free run to the to the hoop. But, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be brutal, especially without Kenrick because Kenrick did so many things for us, and now we have to rely on other guys. I mean, I'm glad Josh Hart is back because he helps – fill that hustle and sort of dirt dog and rebounding um, forward that we needed uh, that we were getting from Kendrick. But um, other than that, it's uh it's pretty brutal stretch of what we got to throw out there. Yeah. It's, I'm not thinking things are going to go well, but <clears throat> hope springs eternal and it's not all doom and gloom. I think that there are a lot of positives <laughs> with this team as far as what we can expect in the future, as far as development and things like that. We just have to change our, our line of sight. We have to, like, I, I think it, we have to be reasonable about what we expect, but that's not what fans do. And I get that. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens from there, but we'll wrap on that note. We lost all the other guys. Chris comes back in at the last 10 seconds, but it's too late, Chris. We don't need you now. It's all over. Yeah. I mean, somebody all, gotta be all. clutch. Uh, somebody <laughs> gotta be clutch. <laughs> well, that's what that's what the CC is for. It's Clutch Chris. That's what it is. Come in in the last and wrap it up. All right, guys. Um, th- we'll, we'll, we'll have to do this again soon. We can't let as much time go by between this one and the next one. But until then, um, as Preston would say, let's dance and let's go Pels. <laughs> for listening to the bird calls on the armchair all-american network if you like what you're hearing please take a moment to rate us on itunes retweet share with your friends and most importantly subscribe today